This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, May 15, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. The IRS played favorites when handing out special tax status to nonprofit groups, according to a new Inspector General's report. Tea Party groups were singled out for extra scrutiny, while progressive and liberal groups got a pass. Michael McLeod Ball is the chief of staff in the legislative office of the ACLU in Washington, D.C. We spoke yesterday. I was talking to a friend of mine who deals with a lot of C4s uh, and helping them get set up and that sort of thing. And he said, I'm not sure what statute was violated here. There may not have been a statute violated. And, and that actually is the big problem. You know, as bad as this incident was, these kinds of in- incidents have happened before. So it's the pattern that really is the problem and the existing statute and regulations that allow it to happen and will continue to allow it to happen unless the laws or regulations are changed. That's the real problem. Is part of the problem that the IRS can read statutes one way and various groups in the public, taxpayers, can read statutes a wholly another way? Well, the ambiguity certainly is a problem, yes, and and, and uh, the IRS is not alone in having to deal with that kind of kind of problem. But here the, the decision is making, um, uh, deciding whether an organization is tax exempt, uh, qualifies for 501c4 status uh, in, in this particular case. And in order to, to do that, uh, uh, the IRS has to determine that uh, uh, this social welfare uh, organization is acting exclusively for social welfare purposes. In, uh, and that's the language of the statute. When you get down into the regulation, uh, somebody at IRS wrote the regulation that says you're exclusively engaged in social welfare purposes uh, if, as long as you are not primarily engaged in partisan political activities. And so, first of all, you've got this regulation. Uh, you know, who knows if that's really appropriate. But in order for IRS to make a decision, it has to decide whether an activity is partisan uh, political activity in, in nature. Um, and, and so you just open up uh, the agency for the potential for abuse by having bureaucrats having to make that kind of decision. So primarily could mean sharing a website if it's 4949 and they share a website then well, well right who knows what what it means the that ambiguity is at the heart of this issue and and so that opportunity shouldn't exist either for a bureaucrat to make a boneheaded decision or for a political appointee or even a, a career bureaucrat to uh, make a decision for his or her own political uh, ends. Um, and certainly you don't want to have that opportunity for some higher up to be able to put pressure on some you know, poor career bureaucrat to, uh, to make that same kind of decision. The ambiguity creates the opportunity for the problem. It doesn't have to exist. It doesn't have to exist. There could be a, a more of an all or none kind of test. Uh, the statute says the 501c4 organization has to be uh, operated exclusively for social welfare purposes. Somebody made a decision that there is more ambiguity to that statement than, than would otherwise appear in the statute uh, by adopting this regulation that says avoid uh, partisan political activity as your primary uh, activity. Well, it could be you can't do partisan political activity at all. Or it could be that partisan political activity doesn't make any difference whatsoever. Either way, you sort of get that get that issue out of the equation, at least to a greater degree than exists now. I'm trying to play devil's advocate here. Is it possible that 
in 2009 and 2010 and 2011, all of the juice in terms of creating new groups that wanted to speak out about politics just happened to be Tea Party groups and that this accounts for uh, the, the large number that ended up being targeted? In the realm of possible? Sure. I, su I suppose that's possible. But the, the, the bottom line is that uh, if that were the case, there are ways of getting at the so-called Tea Party groups um, through nonpartisan, non-ideological fashion. Uh, you know, the, the challenge for the IRS here was how to process, how to prioritize this mass of applications for 501c4. Um, and so they went through this filter process, which identified Tea Party organizations or organizations engaged in educating about the Constitution uh, for special attention. They could have gotten to those same organizations and any other like-minded organization by using a more neutral term. They could have filtered on the basis of whether organizations were, uh, for example, engaged in uh, uh, um, uh, uh, commercial advertising, if they spent more than a certain percentage of their anticipated budget on commercial advertising. They certainly would have gotten to other groups beyond the Tea Party and perhaps some groups on the left that were also engaged in that in that process. That kind of more neutral uh, testing uh, uh, would have been acceptable. I think anybody would have had a problem. Uh, it, would have, it would have been difficult for anybody to see a problem with that, with that kind of a process. But instead, they went through this process, whether by design or, or inadvertently or through incompetence, uh, to test on the basis of ideological perspective, and that just can't stand. Well, how do we stop it? I mean, it, it seems like you, you give a federal agency, a very powerful federal agency, this ability to engage in discretion, and then they do. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, well, that is the problem. Um, how, how do you fix it? I, you can fix it, A, by, by making the regulation more explicit. The, the clearer, uh, the brighter line standard that you can establish, the less opportunity there is for this kind of subjective judgment. So if you take away this, uh, this political purpose uh, test uh, and say either all political activities are either okay or not okay, rather than this sort of ambiguous primary political purpose uh, test. I think that helps solve the problem. Um, but you've got to get the IRS and other agencies for that matter, the FEC in particular, you've got to get them out of the business of making determinations of, of what constitutes partisan political activity or not. Because once you have them making that decision, it's, it's ripe for abuse. January 2010, Citizens United is decided which opens up the range of political activity, more overt political activity that uh, unions and corporations uh, may engage in. Is there any relationship here? Well, I think there is. Um, I think some people have tried to draw a direct line there. I'm, I'm not quite sure how direct the line is. Um, but at least in theory, this is all about disclosure of donors to organizations. Um, it seems to be accepted within the country now that those who give money to political candidates, that should be disclosed. Uh, people should know who's who, who, who is giving significant money to people that are running for office. Um, the same time, those who are giving to issue advocacy organizations um, have the right to um, operate secretly, to, to assemble 
with those uh, whom they choose to assemble with um, w without others knowing their business. Uh, so if an organization wants to engage in issue advocacy, um, they should not have to disclose their donors. And, and that's pretty well established in, in, uh, in law. After the Citizens United decision, there appeared to be an increase in applications for 501c4 applications. And generally, 501c4 organizations do not have to disclose their donors. And because the approval process the, the IRS engages in is a very lengthy process, um, those who are perhaps nefariously minded um, would form a 501c4 organization, engage in political communications, if effectively violating that primary political purpose test that, that we talked about, um, and not have to report their donors until the election is long gone and nobody really cares who the donors were. Um, so, so there may be some sort of connection uh, to organizations that want to engage in the uh, partisan political process without disclosing their donors. Uh, you, you know, um, nobody really can say with certainty that that's involved because I don't think good studies have been done to to investigate that so far. What do you find most troubling about this? Well, the the, the troubling thing about this uh, is that it's not the first time. Uh, the, the most troubling thing is that the IRS, in particular, and there are other parts of the government that have all, that are also guilty of similar kinds of uh, kinds of abuses, but the IRS has repeatedly engaged in abusing. Uh, its laws and regulations um, for partisan political ends. Whether that is uh, high-level uh, political people misusing the agency for their own ends or uh, individual bureaucrats or, or, uh, or political appointees abusing the process for their own uh, political ends. The impact is that it has a chilling effect on the speech of those who are targeted for abuse. And so in this case, there are Tea Party organizations that perhaps did not get their 501c4 certification despite being qualified for that. Uh, and therefore, they suffer a, a detriment from our government that other like-situated organizations do not suffer under. Um, and the, it's a horrible instance that that happened this time, but it's happened before. We have to make some changes to make sure that um, that it doesn't happen again. I, I, it's cliche to say that, um, but there can be changes imposed that uh, make it less likely to recur in the future. Michael McLeod Ball is the Chief of Staff of the ACLU's Washington Legislative Office. You can read more on federal abuses of power at our website, cato.org.